Speaking of haunting, the BFI movie of the week is Stanley Kubrick's 1980 Raspberry winner, The Shining. <laughs> Razzie winner, The Shining. Did it win a Razzie? I knew it was nominated. They had Razzies back then? They did. The Shining was nominated for multiple Razzies. What? Yeah. Nonsense. The Shining was not super well received on release. As you can see, it still only has a 66% on Metacritic. Currently looking for something to wipe the beer on my hands off. Thinking of a pillow. <laughs> Your pants. No, I don't want to wear my pants. I'm going to use a mask. I'm trying to see. Yes, uh, it was nominated for a pair of Razzie Awards, including Worst Director and Worst Actress. Well, Worst Director, I think you could make an argument for still. Really? <laughs> well, Worst, not in terms of filmmaking, but in terms of uh, mental and physical damage of actors on set by director. <laughs> All of them. Like, I, I find it interesting that a lot of people mentioned that Shelley Duvall, uh, like they don't, some people don't like this film because Kubrick was famously very uh, abusive Not towards great. Shelley Duvall on set. Yeah. Uh, I, I would also like to mention that he was also very abusive to Scatman Crothers, poor man, and he doesn't get any sympathy and he needs it because I was listening to some, uh, oh, no. I, there's a commentary on the Blu-ray and it it just said that Scatman had to cry at one point to get Kubrick to stop filming takes. Poor Scatman. Uh, do we have the same one? I'm this the Scatman. Yeah, yeah, it's the same one. Of course it is. It's the okay. one with, with okay. good old Jack Nicholson sticking his head through the boards of the door. Did you did you read my review for The Shining? I did I posted? not. Well, I'm just going to read it. Okay. It's very it's very brief. Please do. In italicized leather letters, hither approaches Jonathan. You're, you're getting more abstract <laughs> with some of these things. I like it. I know. The thing is, okay. The thing is about the movies that I've seen a bunch of times. When I when I log a movie, I've already seen like Twin Peaks. My review is very brief, but my first review is very long. If I've already seen it and reviewed it, I'm just gonna make a joke. Sure. I know people hate joke reviews on Letterbox, but I'm not gonna write a full fucking review twice. Why? Um. But yeah. Why? Yeah, why do people hate joke reviews? They d I don't know. I mean, they're, if they're, all you do is joke reviews, maybe it gets old, but it's not. I personally quite like people, it when I get yeah. a joke review every once in a while. It's fun because here's a hint. I'm not going to read your long review. <laughs> that's that's exactly my point. There are some people that are like, oh, the joke reviews take away from the serious discussion. Yeah, the serious discussion, the FMS 100 film essays that you're writing on letter. I don't care who don't is using them. the comment section on letterbox. Like you can't have a conversation on there because it doesn't notify anyone really. No. Yeah. Which I didn't you respond to one of my reviews and said I responded yes. to. Yes, it was very oh, old. Was it was it? like three years old. I, I did it recently. Oh, no. What was it? It was the shape of water. Still cringe, you said. <laughs> and then that made me re. So I wrote that review of shape of water. I, I watched it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I watched the shape. I of read water it. It's long for the second time. And afterwards, this was at, at college. And we uh, there was an interview with the the fish man. Doug the guy who played the fish man. Yeah, uh, so that, was, that was cool. But I was very passionate about how much I uh, didn't care for the film. Liked it. Wait didn't care minute. for it. What, what is the... Also, I gave oh it three stars. God. That is, that is uh, harsh. I'm going to bump it up to three and a half. The guy who plays the, the fish man, his name is Doug Jones. So if you, if you had the nickname Dougie... Dougie Jones. 
That's it's all I'm saying. Call for help. <laughs> that is okay. So, tiny tangent before we get into the shining. More tangents. That is it is one of those heartbreaking experiences in my life when I saw the shape of water and I got out and I'm like, that was amazing. And then I texted the group chat saying just saw it, and then you and Nathan are both like, it's so dumb. And I'm like, oh you assholes. <laughs> I wanna like it more. I just uh it's not for me. Maybe I just like Guillermo del Toro too much. But The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick. The one, the only Stanley Kubrick. The one, the only. Which I'm surprised that we had two Stanley Kubrick movies so close to each other. Because didn't we just have, what was the one we just had? (laughs) I'm sorry, another tangent. There's a list on Letterboxd called Shape of Water and Man of Steel Spoilers. And it's just Shape of Water and Man of Steel in a list. And it's movies where Michael Shannon is killed by a neck injury inflicted by a, the godlike figure he is hunting down. <laughs> Continue. This is kind of funny to me that there are two Stanley Kubrick movies so close to together. We just did a Clockwork Orange a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder how many of his movies are on here. Because... I. At this point, I would have thought, okay, if you're going to have Clockwork Orange and The Shining, you have to have 2001, Strange Love, Barry Lyndon, maybe Paths of Glory. But this is also the same group of people that did not put on the red shoes. So I don't even know. Do you want me to tell you? Tell you, I go for it. So we do have, I know for certain that we have 2001 A Space Odyssey on here. Of course. Very high up. It's going to be quite some time before we get to that. I still haven't seen it. We also have Barry Barry Lyndon on here. And I feel like there is something else. But there might not be. I feel like Paths of Glory would be one they'd choose. I feel like they gave Clockwork Orange the spot just because it's English. I'm going to say that. It's it's British affirmative action. <laughs> well, I'm not going to fight you on that too much. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Interesting. Don't quote okay. me on that because I always tend to misplace things on here ironically enough those are like the two big ones i still haven't seen so yeah something to look forward to maybe perhaps hopefully i i never actually i've never seen eyes wide shut either and i know it's a movie that a lot of people like i like that one quite a bit quite a bit you do yeah Hmm. so fun fact so there's there's a podcast series called movies by minute have you heard of it no okay so i i don't know where it started but people started doing these podcasts where they would take a movie and every episode would be about a a minute and then the next minute of the movie there's a star wars minute where they've literally gone through all star wars films minute by minute there is a die hard minute wait which including the prequels yeah minute by minute analysis of the by minute and nathan who's been on the podcast a few times we actually, we were going to start Stanley Kubrick Minute and go through Stanley Kubrick films minute by minute. And we put our name down on the reservation. Like there was a group, a Facebook group of all these movie by minute, just podcasters coming yeah, together yeah. to do it. It wasn't like anything centralized or anything. And we put our name down for Stanley Kubrick Minute. Never did anything with it. <laughs> we, we were going to start with The Shining. And I kid you not. This is this is the early days of my podcasting career. I can't really call it a career since well, I don't. We, we spend a lot of time on it. Sure. My side hustle as a podcaster. <laughs> by side hustle, I mean uh, something I lose money to every month. We'll see. Uh, anyway, the we did The Shining 
and we actually recorded. We tried to start the podcast. We recorded the first episode no less than three times. I still have these recordings somewhere. So we, we talked about the first minute of The Shining quite, quite a bit. And then the third time. I remember this. The third time we got through like four minutes and I just never edited it completely on me. Uh, I just didn't have the the it wasn't the right time. Yeah, I didn't have the motivation and all that. Maybe something to re- return to eventually. I don't know. But I am very familiar with the first five minutes of The Shining. <laughs> and I've seen it quite a few times. So I just watched the commentary for this this uh, review. Which I should have done because this is a movie that I've also seen a good amount of times. And I'll be honest, I like this movie. I'm not crazy about this movie. I never have been. And I think every sing- the reason I've seen it so many times, this is probably the, the Kubrick movie I've seen the most. And I think the reason is because there's so many things I like about this movie that I always think that I love this movie, but I don't. Hmm. But I do like it. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that um, there's there's something as somebody who is a fan of horror, but doesn't like a lot of horror. It's it's something about horror movies that I always hate is when they try to explain what's scary to you. Mm-hmm. And this movie does not. <laughs> it really does not. This movie is very mystical. It's mysterious. It's 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 a very not paranoid movie, but it's a movie that feels like it's full of subliminal messages there there's a mystery to it but i i never it never reveals itself enough of itself to me to where i i can put it together and i become interested in it sure <laughs> i no i understand i do i and i i want to i want to say that i almost feel the same way but differently because i really like the shining the shining used to be one of my favorite films and it still is quite highly regarded by by me yeah but and there are quite a few films like this and i want to introduce this idea we may revisit it in the future for a few films there are some movies that i discovered early on into my journey into cinema where before i had just been obsessively watching lord of the rings the the behind the scenes and movies my dad would show me some older films every once in a while, like Casablanca and every so often and whatever. And I'd seen No Country for Old Men and newer films, but I hadn't really delved into the history of cinema or into international cinema whatsoever. And Shining was one of those early movies that kind of struck me at a time where I didn't know the potential of cinema, really. Yeah. I think... No Country for Old Men is another one of those uh, movies that used to be in my top 10 that are no longer there. Nothing against them. Yeah, no. It's just it's that just taste over change. time, yeah, it, over time, the more and more I watch, the more I develop my taste and what I like in cinema. And the, I, I grow away from things. Not that I don't like them the same. Like, I think I like The Shining just as much as I ever have. Yeah, it's just I have found more personal and interesting connections to other films that have supplanted it. So that's interesting. So it's it's still quite highly regarded by me. I still think it's really great film and nothing negative to say. Yeah, no, that's the thing is that the there are I mean, there's a few things I don't really like about the movie. But as far as this kind of movie goes, it's going to it's a weird comparison. But this everything that people love about The Shining I like, 
But I feel like a movie, it's one of those things that, you, like you just said, there's a movie that does everything that it does, but better. For me, that movie is The Lighthouse. Because I feel like they're very similar movies. Maybe just in concept alone. Um, but I love The Lighthouse. I've seen The Lighthouse like five times and I want to watch it again. The, the thing about The Shining is that I love the... Needless to say with, with Kubrick movies is that it's beautifully shot. Mm. The Overlook Hotel, even though you really only see a small fraction of it, you get like a complete sense of geography. Like in Parasite, you know, you know where things are. Um, it's such that feeling of isolation. I feel like the camera work specifically very rarely do multiple characters share a frame. It's a lot, especially as the movie goes on. It's a lot of really wide symmetrical shots with one person in them and it's it's the combination of the cinematography in the way that it captures the overlook hotel and the the slow devolving of these characters state of minds that it does interest me and i do think my favorite scenes in the movies are or the movie are the ones where um what's jack nicholson's character's name is it jack yeah i never yeah. made that connection before it's jack <laughs> weird the the scenes with jack in the bar mm -hmm. are some of my favorites because that is where i really like the movie where it has this haunting aura it's very mysterious it doesn't give a lot away it feels like you're seeing ghosts mm -hmm. but a huge part of why that feeling never sticks with me and it's taken me a few viewings to realize this i'm sorry that she had to go through this but i hate shelly duvall in this movie I really do not like Shelley Duvall in this movie. To bring up your point from earlier about how the set is really great, I'm going to kind of approach this, this dialogue between us as why I think this film deserves to be on the BFI list, okay. even though I might put other horror films above it. I might even like The Lighthouse more, depending on <laughs> further watchings. <laughs> We've and only seen the it thing once, with right? that is that, what? Have you only seen The Lighthouse once? Oh, okay. No, twice. Watch it twice in theaters. You've seen it twice? Okay, that's right. Yeah. That's right. I need to watch it again. And the, the whole point of cinema is that you are building upon earlier works. Like The Shining built upon earlier things. Yeah. And at some point you get enough historical perspective to look at a film that you watched earlier and say, hey, that was kind of a watershed moment. We didn't realize it then. And we talked a little bit about this kind of changing perspective with uh, Magnificent Ambersons last week. Yeah. But something like The Lighthouse, I could very easily see it like 50 years from now, aging like a fine wine and where it is considered like the next evolutionary step in kind of dramatic horror films. I agree. And the thing I will say, because I don't think you could say that now. We don't have enough perspective. You no, can I like agree. it more. But the thing with The Shining is that it is a revolutionary horror film kind of brought some gravitas to the genre I that is that was lacking up until this point or at the very least went unnoticed and it took someone like stanley kubrick to make it noticeable and i think the other really big reason why i, I think this film deserves to be here is that it is the the overlook hotel is one of the greatest pieces of set design ever it is the, whole the carpet especially. 
It is one of the greatest locations in film up there with Lord of the Rings. Thank you very much. One of the great <laughs> films of all time. I was about to say, as far as hotels go, the only ones that rival it are the Grand Budapest and the Bates. Hmm. Movies have got some great hotels. But no, that I, I do agree with that idea, because when you really think about it, it's I find it very difficult to come up with any sort of movie that is even similar to The Shining before The Shining. Since then, we've seen a lot of different types of movies that kind of feel in that same uh, uh, that arena, but nothing before The Shining feels even remotely similar. There, there's certain iconographies like the axe. You could say Jack Nicholson is a slasher in this movie, but it's that sense of dread that that sense of it's the, my favorite kind of horror movie where you're afraid, but you don't know why. There are things that are not scary on the surface, but the implications of them are terrifying. Like, I, for some reason, I find the conversation between... What's the kid's name? Danny. Danny in Scatman Crothers to be really scary. And the kid is terrifying, too. Let's not shy away from that. His No, his, that's one of the great kid actor castings of all time. Up there with, you know, say what you will about E.T., but that's a good kid actor, too. I don't like E.T. I know, but the it's a good. But the kids are good. No, the kids are yeah. good. Yeah, it's E.T. I already forgot the name. What is his name again? I forgot. Danny. Danny, and I really like the kid from uh, Jojo Rabbit. I think he's a great child huh. actor. Well, he's a good kid. But yeah, all these, no, all these that, blonde that children. <laughs> that kid's terrifying. Um, when he is writing Red Rum in the room towards the end of the movie, fucking terrifying. I think that is scary. It's it's interesting that Kubrick kind of has this way of directing that is very I'm going to make a reference to one of our friends. I hope this friend does not let it go to his head. Kind of like Brenton. Brenton likes to take a lot of takes. He's been on the podcast a few times by the way. Oh, you yeah, should check it, out it, those episodes. He likes I to take a lot of takes movies. and as his assistant director for his past uh, a few of his major short films. Uh I don't let him take too many because then the whole production is ruined. And the thing with The Shining is that Kubrick went overtime major and the sound stages in England that he was supposed to use, that he was using for this, this might make you like this film even more. He put off Steven Spielberg and Raiders of the Lost Ark because they had rented it after him and he was still using it and he refused to let it go. You're right. What the hell? I love the shining yeah. now. Anyway, so directorially, <laughs> Kubrick seems to like just do hundreds of takes and then almost like Fincher. I feel like I think I Fincher's, heard this about Fincher yeah. too. No, that Fincher's in the editing room, very much chooses the way that he he wants it's the the film is constructed. A lot of people say that you reconstruct the film in editing, but for some directors it's really the case. And I think Kubrick is one of those where he does so many takes that he touches all of them and he finds exactly the one he wants exactly like so precisely so mechanically precise and then picks that one and then he does it again and again for every single shot and just yeah just insane well they always say that one of my favorite filmmaking quotes is that you make three different movies you write one movie shoot another movie and edit another movie for kubrick i never feel that way because i'm always like they're so specific to his oeuvre his his vision that you know probably not the case but um yeah it, 
I, I do. It's one of those things that I do appreciate. And I also don't like at the same time is just how how submerged the narrative is in this movie. It's very vague what's going on. Yeah, you can surmise a decent amount, but it's one of those things that I don't. It's a mystery I don't care to solve. Mere surmiser. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I very rarely we get got, to reference gotta, that line. We we gotta put find some movie on the BFI list to pair that with because that that's a movie to discuss. But yeah, it's one of those things that like, you know, I there's obviously the the connection with the ability of shining, what the shining means, the Overlook Hotel, what that has to do with this whole thing. But it's one of those things that maybe it's because of my 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 outside knowledge of what the book is about. Mm -hmm. At least to Stephen King and Dr. Sleep or whatever, where I'm just like, okay, I don't really care. It's not a mystery I want to solve because I feel like it's one of those things I'm just not going to care about. But I will say this one time watching it, and I've seen this movie like four or five times, and this is the only time this this shot has stuck with me, and that's the final shot. Mm. It is it is a very good final shot that re it's one of those really good final shots that in one shot, they recontextualize everything you saw before. And it is one of those things that every time I see it, it's the music, the way that it slowly zooms in. I'm always left with this feeling of, Ugh, what did I just see? That is something that has like lost kind of its luster to me, unfortunately. Like, I'm really oh, sad no. about this. Yeah. Is that when I watched it in my, I'm going to say my late teens, and I got to the ending and like, I hadn't I hadn't watched any film that was so radically recontextualizing the narrative at the end. Yeah. That I get to the ending and I, and I see that and like what the fuck dude? Yeah. I just watched it and it was so cool. <laughs> and then I watched it again and again. And she's like this this is pretty neat. I've seen some neat things after this. It kind of like yeah. loses its specialness once you really delve into into the the, the whole cinema thing, but Yeah. It's still it's still a really great ending shot. Don't get me wrong. It it works best, perhaps, on a first viewing and maybe a second viewing, too. Yeah. Oh, but to, to circle back on another point. Yeah, I don't like Shelley Duvall in this movie. And I realize that in this current watch, because I just feel like she's doing this really weird in between of horror and melodrama. And I feel like, especially in the end, she never really sells it. Because, you know, th I feel like there's a sign that everybody in this hotel is going crazy except for Shelley Duvall. <laughs> and, uh, and I like Shelley Duvall in the other movies that I've seen that she's in. I really like her. It's just this one movie I don't like her in. And it's she has such a pivotal role in this movie. But it's one of those things that maybe if she talked less, because I do think Shelley Duvall is an attractive woman. And I feel like those eyes really sell her fear. But it's when she talks, especially in the beginning. She's a very flat sense of evocation of her words and her dialogue. And it just gets worse throughout. Whereas Jack Nicholson, it was this time where I'm watching where I'm really like, oh, my God, he's really good in this movie. Mm -hmm. He's a little over the top sometimes, like when he's writing and Shelley Duvall interrupts him. That's one of those times. Where one like, of my. <laughs> so I think the one of the interesting one of the unique things about this podcast in particular is how we can we're going through kind of like the history of cinema with modern films too yeah and we can make these interesting connections um it's a bit easier to do that 
So an interesting connection I made is while when uh, Nicholson is acting kind of manic and they um, he's typing and Shelley Duvall interrupts him in this kind of creative process that he's in. It reminded me of Reynolds Woodcock in <laughs> Phantom Thread. Yeah, because he, he just, says something similar. Yeah, he just yeah. berates because uh, Alma is eating too loudly and he gets annoyed with her for interrupting his creative time. There's multiple scenes in Phantom yeah. Thread where uh, someone is interrupting through very kind of normal everyday behavior, the, the artists, the artistic process. So that reminded me, uh, except in here, the artistic process is a, a road to madness. Well, I very specifically thought of Phantom Thread as well, because in that scene when Shelley Duvall interrupts him and Jack Nicholson saying like, yeah, you're going to leave, but I got to get back in this. You know, I, I'm already gone. The distraction is the- here. Yeah, yes, I was about to say. Easy. <laughs> distracted is staying right here but yeah but yeah you know it's she's such a huge part of this movie and i just really don't find her performance either convincing or entertaining she just just feels very awkward and there is a genuine terror in her eyes but it doesn't come out of her mouth <laughs> i guess i'm just gonna say that it's just it's just a film you can watch again and again and find something different in it which is similar to The Lighthouse, where you can, you can read into it in many different ways. And there's a lot of different interesting conflicts going on, like father versus son, husband versus wife, fate versus free will, the repetition of history and all, all that, Native yeah. Americans and burial grounds and uh, weird Stanley Kubrick stuff faking of the moon landing oh, it's it's all interesting i'm not you know i don't buy any of it but it's interesting nonetheless wait mm-hmm. so we we do have the same version yeah um yeah okay i don't know if it's just that i might have been looking away i don't remember looking away too much of this movie D- does this version not have the quick cutaway to the man receiving oral sex in the bunny outfit oh, no it one has that i must i must have just looked away for a second that's one of those things that every it's time a I pretty watch quick this movie, shot. yeah, it is. It's one of those things that I'm always like, oh, this is the part that's really creepy. It's a pretty quick shot there. sandwiched in a film with many, many long shots. I missed the one shot under 10 seconds. One of my favorite things in all of cinema buildup in all cinema is Scatman Crothers. <laughs> He's coming to save him. He's coming to save him. Gets axed. I love it. <laughs> That's another thing about this movie that every single time I watch it, one thing I always forget, you get that, you know, that very iconic shot of Danny on his trike going through the Mm -hmm. hallways. I never remember when you actually see the girls because this time I watched it, you know, the first time we go through, I'm like, oh, God, because the camera work is so perfect to where you literally don't know what's around that hallway until the very last second. So you're going around and around and around. And the first time I'm like, oh, I remember there's girls here. And then you don't see it. And the second time, I'm like, oh, it has to be this time. And I'm like, uh. And by the third time, I'm like, oh, it has to be this time. But when I'm halfway through the thought, that's when I see it. it. Another thing to be said about the history of this film, this is the film that kind of really cemented the importance of the steady cam. Wasn't the first film that used the steady cam, it was mm-hmm. uh, Rocky. But the, the steady cam, the guy who invented the steady cam, went from Rocky to The Shining. In The Shining, Kubrick kind of pushed him to use it in a way that wasn't really imagined for it. It was originally imagined as something you could run along an actor with, with an actor with, and still maintain a steady shot. Mm-hmm. And here, it's it's really kind of bringing, fleshing out the idea of the steady cam 
into something that can be slow moving and wonderful. And a lot of the shots I noticed it this time around because the camera operator, the steady cam operator was on the, the commentary. It was really interesting listening to him. Yeah. And he mentioned a lot of the shots are just handheld actually. Like wow. he was walking around with the camera and apparently some of them, he would be walking with the characters and in the scene with Jack Nicholson in the interview in the beginning, he he did the whole thing, walked in with him, sat down with Jack Nicholson, and just held the camera there as steady as he could. Hmm. He was a, a human tripod, he called himself in the, the commentary, which was really interesting. Interesting. You notice it. You don't notice it in like the wide, like if you're paying attention to the center of the image, yeah. don't notice it. But if you pay attention to the edges of the frame, you can see little jitters that are indicative of someone holding the camera. There is a shit ton of dollar movements in this movie, and I like it. Yes, this this film and uh, Kwai Don, that's another film that has a horror esque film that has lots of slow moving dolly movements to still uh, haven't seen it to emphasize the horror, the horror <laughs> of a moment. I will say the more and more we talk about Kubrick and especially when I was watching this, you know, the most recent time, the only thing I can think of is this is the complete opposite of Cassavetes. <laughs> Everything yeah. about Kubrick is what Cassavetes is not. So I've kind of already asked you this question, but do you think it deserves to be on this list? I, you know what? I'm going to say, yeah, even though it's not my okay. favorite Kubrick, it's still, you know, a solid movie. I really like this movie. It's just not it's not one of those movies that I'm crazy about like everyone else. But I do. It wasn't until you pointed out the fact that there really wasn't much like it before it. And the fact that I keep coming back to this movie makes me think that one day it's going to click, you know, all mm. the way. So, yeah, I'll say, yeah, it does. I'm I'm also saying yes, which I've said before. It, more I, so than a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yes. as much as I like yes. a Clockwork Definitely. Orange. Um, I I will say something very interesting is that a lot whenever Jack in the beginning is touring the Overlook, mm-hmm. his shots are from the side or behind, and Shelley's when she goes off into the kitchen and tours the Overlook by herself. Yeah the shots are from the front. So the camera's moving backwards. So it's interesting that Jack Nicholson is constantly being his, his, the environment around him is being emphasized uh-huh. whenever he's, he's anywhere in the hotel and his, it's almost like he's looking the camera's looking forward constantly because he is trapped by fate, by inevitability. And Shelley Duvall is not. So the camera is the one moving backwards and you you only see what's behind her or not what's in front of her the operator mid shot realizes that the performance isn't working so let's not focus on haha uh, <laughs> i also feel like we gotta point out this trivia fact i'm sure you and i both already know this but for the you know people who are not as big fans of the movie blade runner uh the opening shots in this movie going through the mountaintops um were mountains used... of glacier national park beautiful yep. place they were used, these exact shots were used again in the original ending for the theatrical cut of Blade Runner. And this is a, a little fun tidbit from my uh, Stanley Kubrick minute days. Uh, <laughs> the road they're on is one of the greatest road names in America. It is, is it? called Going to the Sun Road. Which that sounds is like fun. pretty badass. It's going that to the is, sun. That's pretty epic. Cool name mixed with a really cool road in a cool yeah. place. It's another one of those things that I realized this time around where I'm just like, oh, this is it just looks nice. It's it's really nice. Good. Film. So next time on the Split Take podcast, 
We are going to be reviewing maybe First Cow. Maybe what's the other one we said? Uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Charlie, I'm thinking of ending things. I watched that trailer again and found it very funny. Which part? All of it. I've been reading the book. I'm 40 pages left till the book's over. I'm excited. Uh, and the movie we're going to be watching is Bo Travai. Bo Travai. Claire Denis. Which yes, from 1998. Not quite a 21st century film, but close. Oh, so. Uh, neither of us have seen it, so that's uh, one of the very few... I've never seen a single Claire Denis. Interesting. That's uh, one of the few times on this list that we will be watching a film for the first time, both of us. Oh, interesting. That was the episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And uh, we have a YouTube channel. We do. I don't know if anyone knows that. Uh, might do something with that eventually. Who knows? Yeah.